marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. Good morning. This uh, little video clip is uh, from a very old ancient movie called The Princess Bride. And it just talks about marriage uh, that brings us together today. That's what we're going to be talking about as uh, we spend the next uh, half an hour or so uh, digging into the Word and seeing what the Bible, what the Lord has to say about marriage, right? Uh, incidentally, this uh, movie, uh, by the time I finished uni, in the U.S., I had watched it 18 times. Uh, it's uh, one of my favorite movies. Some of you are nodding. Some of you are not shaking your head this way. Some of you are rolling your eyeballs and going, i got to listen to this guy for the next half an hour. Well, we used to use this in our uh, uni dorms as a bit of a litmus test. We would bring our you know, sister wing uh, you know, schoolmates, uh, the ladies, to our rooms, and we would screen this movie as a big group, and we would watch it. And then we'll see if they like the movie. If they actually like and get the movie and they can kind of, you know, go with it, then okay, you know, they are, you know, uh, worthy of the next date or we would, you know, pursue them. If they go, I don't get this movie. Eee, this kind of movie is not nice. Then it's like, that's the last time we ever see them again, right? Well, this was like ancient days uh, and it's just a, hopefully a lighthearted intro as to uh, uh, what we'll be talking about today. Let me invite those of you who are married to stand up on your feet. Even if you are the only representative of your marriage, let's go ahead and have you stand. Your uh, spouse or partner is not here. Let me just go ahead and get you all to stand. The rest of us, and even those who are standing, just kind of look around, look to the left, look to the right. See who are the ones among you who are standing. All right. If you have been married for three years or less, go ahead and take a seat. <laughs> I was reminded by my daughter to tell you and tell you all clearly, this is not a competition, okay? <laughs> right. How about seven years and below? Take a seat. Ten years below? Take a seat. Fifteen years? Take a seat and below. How about 18 years? How about those of you who've been married for 20 years and below? Go ahead and take a seat. Everybody say, wow. <laughs> Let's do 23 years. How about 23 years? Some sitting down? 25 years. That's where I am. My wife and I have been married for 25 years. 28 years. See that? 30 years. We saved a while, huh? <laughs> well, what was the last count? 30. How about 33? Yeah, if you have someone sitting down. 35. 37. Those of you who've been married for 40 years and below, take a seat. Should we go up to 45? 
46. Married for 47. 48. And how long have you been married, sister? <laughs> 51 years. Wow. Thank you. Take a seat. How about you, brother? 51 years. Wow. And finally, 49 years. Wonderful. Wonderful. And now all together we can say, wow. <laughs> So, dear, we have a long way to go. Uh. Only 25 years. Uh. We're just like halfway there, you know. Those of you who are engaged, eat your heart out. <laughs> You've got a, a, a lifetime uh, to, to plan and look forward to and enjoy. Well, 25 years, uh, sometimes it feels like 800, but uh, for better or for worse. And uh, we uh, truly, truly and totally testify to the goodness of God and the faithfulness and the grace, the amazing grace of our God that has gotten us this far, and we've just begun. There's uh, plenty more to go. Well, today we're going to be looking at marriage, and so I want us to begin with uh, a, a, a position and uh, to poise our hearts in a position of sensitivity, because here we have those, as we have seen, who've been married. Some of those marriages uh, you know, if they live out in the West, you know, and uh, each evening you look to the West, you see the northern lights. You know, it's like, wow, amazing, you know. Uh, they, they have uh, such a blissful time. Others face more challenges than that who are, you know, in marriages. Perhaps some of us here who are single and are happy being single. Perhaps some of us are single and desire for the Lord to provide a life partner for us. But it is in the realm of the not yet. And perhaps there are some of us here who are single again for various reasons, for a variety of reasons and life circumstances that has led you to this station in life. So we want to be sensitive to all who are here and yet uphold marriage as that portrait that was given to us by God Himself for us to champion, for us to look to, for us to uphold and for us to grasp as his portrait pointing to his relationship with us. Now, when we look into uh, marriage, life together, we see in the scriptures every time, and especially and namely when Jesus was cornered by his Jewish uh, opponents in attempts to entrap him, uh, in his words, in his teachings, namely in regard to marriage and divorce and remarriage and all those kinds of things, Jesus' response was simply to direct their attention to God's original intent, to God's original design for marriage as found in Genesis 2.24. Jesus quoted this as this, Do you not know in the beginning God made them male and female? And then this verse he quotes, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, a man by extension, the couple, both man and woman when they get married, to be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. When cornered or an attempt to entrap him was uh, undertaken, Jesus simply pointed to God's original purpose and intent. And so we want to just unpack this verse for us 
today. Following Jesus in our marriages involves grasping what God has designed marriages to look like and how He purposes marriages to function. This allows our marriages to experience His blessing, His provision, and provides the watching world a glimpse of Christ's love relationship with the church, His bride. We're all the bride of Christ, the body and the bride of Christ. And marriage, as designed and purposed by God, gives us and the watching world a small glimpse of what our relationship with Christ, our bridegroom, is all about. And so we're going to unpack this, and you can see uh, there'll be three big ideas, uh, and uh, they, they come in three key words. They rhyme, uh, Baptist, Pastor, la, so always got three-point sermon, right? Uh, and we're going to begin with the very first one. For this reason, a man and woman, when they get married, will leave his father and his mother. So marriage as God designed it requires that a man and woman leave their respective families of origin, establishing independence and a new loyalty. But when we look at the word leave, okay, we leave, we you know, uh, start a family and all of that, what does that actually mean? Well, for those of us who are solemnizers and uh, pastors, we have the honour, the joy of bringing couples together in uh, weddings. And one of the things that usually gets said somewhere in the midst of the celebration or the, the service or at the banquet later or the reception, someone will say, oh, now that you're married, you are what? One big happy family. Well, the truth of God's Word says that actually, the truth is that you will become three distinct but very deeply interconnected, interrelated families. When a husband and wife come together, when we pronounce husband and wife, turn around while they kiss the bride, we introduce them, and they walk down the aisle, they come back, all of those kinds of things, they become a family unit that is intact and whole from the very beginning. They are already a family. So it's a bit of a misnomer, isn't it? When you come up to the person and, you know, they're a couple and they go, oh, so, you know, no children yet. When are you going to start a family? They are already a family. And then as is, would be aligned to the purposes of God, God may bless them with children who then form moons or satellites that revolve around that family unit that was already and originally intact and complete. That is husband and wife. That is a family, a new formed family unit that is independent with a new loyalty one to another. Now, when we look at this word, leave, what we want to do to unpack this word is basically to go into the rest of the scriptures to see how this word in its original form and its derivatives is used in other contexts then it broadens our understanding of what this word means when we say a man and woman should leave or is required to leave their families of origin. So the first one would be, it is used as the word to mean to depart. It, marriage requires a geographic and a physical departure from the family of origin. Now that kind of flies in the face of uh, how many of our Asian cultures are. 
right? Even in, uh, in the mainland, you see even in movies, there's this huge compound. And then you have many, many huts and houses and all that within this. And the family just kind of, you know, stays within this large family unit. It's like the family just gets bigger and bigger by marriage. Perhaps if you look even in the tentage-oriented uh, uh, cultures of the Hebrews in uh, ancient biblical history, similar, isn't it, where the household is even used as a word to describe a family that keeps getting expanded. And yet, there is this application of this word that requires a physical departure, at least to the extent that it signifies a new independent, new loyalty that is formed in this new family unit. Genesis talks about uh, when uh, Joseph, you know, before he revealed himself to his brothers in Egypt, required Benjamin to be brought to him, right? And then, uh, uh, of course, the brother says, no, that boy cannot leave his father, Jacob. If he leaves, geographically, physically leaves, his father will die because Jacob so loved Benjamin. Geographic departure. In Matthew 4.13, this just refers to Jesus leaving physically Nazareth. And so there is a geographic, physical movement that is required when we talk about how a man and woman are to leave their families of origin. The second one is to loosen. And this one is interesting. I uh, don't want to be accused of uh, likening uh, either husband or wife to a donkey. But uh, this passage uh, in Exodus talks about how if you find your enemy whom you hate, uh, his donkey lying in a ditch, exhausted with his burden on his back, you are not to leave the donkey there, but to relieve the donkey of its burden, to leave the donkey and to bring the donkey out, to restore and, and save or rescue the donkey. And so this has to do with the unburdening, the re- taking off a burden and perhaps the taking on of that burden or responsibility upon yourself. And so to loosen has to do with freeing your families of origin for their, from their obligation to look after you. This refers to financial independence, where you eke out your living from that point on together. Perhaps it will take you 15, 20, 25, 30 years to get to where your parents are in terms of what they have in life, their assets, a home, and so on. Perhaps it'll take you that long. Perhaps you're already there. But the point is that when you say, I do, you become independent of your parents. Can they give you gifts? Sure. But what newlywed husband can ever compete with that new Beamer, BMW sitting there? It's all just a gift to you. Not that all of us are that rich. Huh? So, Megan, my daughter, I'm sorry, I'll give you my bow and arrow and my diving equipment. Uh, that's about all. You know, my guitar, maybe, you're already using it. But yeah, so to loosen is to unburden your family of origin. Deuteronomy, of course, talks about the Lord vindicating or setting free, liberating His people. And so you get the idea when it comes to leaving, having to do with loosening or unburdening your family of origin. And finally, this is a, a big buzzword. This is a, you know, it can even be a bit of a buzzkill. Uh, to forsake, to leave your mother and father, your families of origin, has an element of forsaking, at least in regards to the shift and the moving of loyalty. 
So in Jeremiah, uh, we talk about abandon, right? Uh, that the word of actually leaving is key in this idea of uh, that shift in loyalty. In Luke, uh, Martha and Mary, the two sisters, Martha complained to Jesus because what was Mary doing? The better thing, sitting at the feet of Jesus and just being with him. But Martha comes along and says, Lord, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve all by myself, to labor all by myself, has abandoned me by sitting there. And so there is that idea of having been left behind. Now, how does that factor in? Does it mean that we forsake and no longer care for our parents, our families of origin? No. It's a little bit like what Jesus said to his uh, disciples and his listeners, to say, if you don't hate your mother and father, you know, and, and love me and follow me, you have no place with me or in my kingdom. It's not asking you to hate on your parents or your families of origin. It is to love them because we are told in the greater counsel of Scripture to love and honor your parents that you may live a long life. That's the, 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 the first commandment, right, in the 10 with a promise, as uh, many of you may know from uh, Sunday school. It is to love our parents, our families of origin, so deeply, so profoundly, and yet when compared with our love and devotion and commitment to the Lord, to Jesus, it would look as if, by comparison, it is hate. That's how much Jesus is asking for us to give ourselves to Him, to love our parents with everything we got, and then to love Him just that much more highly. Make sense? I hope it does. And so to leave has this idea, to depart, to loosen, to, to relinquish, have uh, the other uh, party, the, the family of origin, unburdened by the responsibility and the load to look after you financially, emotionally. There's always that scene, right, where the, uh, uh, the hut across the field, you know, uh, is the newlywed home, and then the, the, the family of origin is, you know, on the other side of the cornfields, and then the light comes on at night, and then... Uh, in that newlyweds home, they, you hear squabbling and fighting and, and a lot of hurtful things being said. And then what happens? The door opens, slams, and say one of the partners cuts through the very well-worn path through the cornfields. And he or she runs home to mommy. If she runs home to mommy, if that's home, what's this? Which means she never left. He never left. And that's something that we want to take to heart and be careful of because God's design for marriage requires that a man and woman leave to form and establish independence and a new loyalty. Well, what does this do for us that marriage requires us to leave? Leaving then frees the husband and wife to cleave, to come together, to be bound one to the other, to be profoundly bonded to one another in body, in soul, in purpose. It's not just a physical union, but an emotional, a uh, social, psychological, a spiritual bond together and purpose. Doing life together, as Pastor Isaac uh, mentioned in his uh, pastor's voice. So what does this mean to leave 
so that you can then cleave. If you don't say a good, wholesome, robust goodbye to what was before, then it's really difficult for us to say any good, wholesome, robust hello to whatever else that God has planned in our next season in life. Hellos depend on good goodbyes. And so here, leaving frees the husband and wife to then cleave and bond together. What does this uh, uh, cleaving entail? Same thing. We look into the scriptures, we look uh, everywhere in the scriptures and see how this word, this idea and its derivatives are used. And let's apply it to this concept of cleaving. It means to join together. In Chronicles, it refers to the, the, the joint of the armor of the king, where the two armor plates are joined together. It is the joint. It is where two pieces come together. Albeit sinful pieces, as Pastor Isaac shared, it's two sinners coming together to do life together. And it has its inherent challenges. And yet, to cleave refers to the joining of two pieces, two pieces coming together. Um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 16, later on we'll have 17, as you see in the next line. But in verse 16 of uh, Corinthians 6, uh, Paul warns and cautions men to say, do you not know that if you join yourself with a prostitute, then you, you are bonded to her and cautions against that uh, in, in, in every way and form and format. And so that bond and that binding and that coming together is what cleave means. It also means to cling to. In 2 Samuel, we talk about how uh, Eleazar's hand, many of the soldiers had already abandoned that field of battle, that field of play. But Eleazar stood his ground and he fought and he killed a whole bunch of enemy combatants. And when his energy was spent, it says that his hand was frozen. It clung to his, the hilt of his sword, the handle of his sword. Can you imagine the tenacity, the ferocity of that clinging of a hand to Eliezer's weapon? And then apply it to how we are to cling to one another. Feelings ebb and flow. Hollywood reminds us or, or tells us that, you know, hey, you know, people can fall in love and out of love. You know, uh, there can be a I don't love you anymore kind of a scenario. But the feelings uh, and the fireworks of love, the northern lights that I talked about, they ebb and flow. They come and go. And yet there is a covenantal commitment to stick with it, to cling to. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, the very next verse after Paul warns against uh, joining uh, with prostitutes refers to God, where you ought to then instead bind yourself to God. And that is a spiritual binding that is profound and deep and significant and permanent. To join the Lord to be one in spirit with Him, 1 Corinthians 6, 17. And then there is also cleaving, referring to remaining loyal. Remaining loyal. 2 Samuel 20 talks about how uh, so many of the people of God during the battle left, abandoned, uh, leaving the, the previous idea, King David. They left him. But then there's this phrase there, it says, but the men of Judah remained loyal 
to David. There is a sense of loyalty that comes in that is transferred from the family of origin to your newlywed partner so that the leaving of the saying goodbye from the family of origin, honouring them with all your heart and yet establishing a new, independent, loyal family creates this sacred space where you can be a couple and be independent and showcase a loyalty that is new and fresh and committed to one another. And so that is what we have with leaving. And then when we do that well, it allows us, it frees us to be able to cleave and bind to one another. There's another verse uh, in a cling to, and I don't want to kind of put it up there, but I'll just mention it. Um, it's to cling so tightly as skin to bone or to cling like a disease clings to a body. I mean, in this age of you know, coronavirus and all that, I didn't want to kind of elaborate too much on, on that because you know, we, we are you know, keenly aware of all of that. Uh, and yet, suffice to say that it is uh, very indicative of how profound this bond is in marriage that we need to uplift, pray for, celebrate, and then champion and fight for. Cleaving spills over. Cleaving spills over to the rest of this husband and wife's life season as they commit themselves for a lifetime to weave every aspect of their lives together to weave every aspect of their lives together. Now, sometimes uh, when we say, oh, marriage, when we talk about, you know, uh, to become one, sometimes we have this impression, like uh, that old, old song, Daisy, Daisy, right? Give me your answer, do. I'm half crazy, all for the love of you, right? And it says, you know, uh, you know would you come with me on a bicycle made for two, right? Some of you uh, uh, who are as ancient as I am remember that song, you know, and uh, sometimes we then have this impression that marriage is supposed to look like two people on a tandem bicycle. Everything they do is exactly the same. You know, I remember at one point, uh, someone said, oh, hey, lovebirds, referring to my wife and I, because we then realized that as we walked side by side, even our strides were in sync, like we were marching together, you know. I remember being conscious of the fact that if they were not in sync, then it's like our shoulders don't kind of move properly, you know, very hard to hold a hand and, and do that, right? And yet, sometimes, marriage may not look like a bicycle made for two. I often prefer to liken marriage as a dance, specifically and namely, a, a figure skating duet. You've seen in the Winter Olympics and other championships where you see a pair of figure skaters come together. Very often, they'll begin together, and they will begin their routine together. And it looks, whatever they're doing, I'm not a ballet person, huh? but whatever they're doing looks as if they are one unit, one person, one entity. And then what happens? They divide and they split and they go their separate ways. And then they do their routines and they, they skate around and they do their you know, spins and whatever else you know, that they do in the, in the doubles and the triples and all that. But always in sync and in tune and in the rhythm to the same music, isn't it? And then what happens? They come back together. And then they do their thing, and then they separate, and then they come back together. Sometimes one tosses the other, and you kind of hold your breath. And it's a beautiful marriage dance that happens. And sometimes I prefer to liken a marriage to that, where you are 
uh, independent in an ongoing way, and yet you are bound inextricably to one another. And then you do life together and you begin to weave all the different aspects of life together. Leaving, cleaving, and weaving. Well, how does this weaving actually look like? Now, some of you who recall the, the last time I was here and I had the, the honour uh, to uh, speak and to bring God's word, uh, I brought out a bow and arrow, right? And people were like, oh, I wonder what he's going to bring this time, you know? Bow and arrow, sien already, la, you know, tired of that. Well, I do have something for you guys. I snuck this in and I did rehearse it yesterday uh, before the service. This is a fly rod. This here is a fly rod from Fort Worth, Texas. All right. So this fly rod, you fish, right? Okay. Uh, rest assured, there's no hook on this. However, it, it uh, represents the, the business end, isn't it, of fishing. This is the end that's supposed to lure and get things done, get, get the job done, hook the fish, catch dinner, right? I mean, I was told uh, this very long ago, what's the, the saying that we use? Uh, give a man a fish, he has dinner. Teach a man to fish and he'll never be home in time for dinner because he's going to be fishing all day long. And yet, if you take this and say, okay, this is the business end of it, and you, know, you want to get it out to the fish, it's, it's not going to happen. It's, it's, it's weightless, right? There, there's no weight to it. And yet, when you then take the line and go, okay, well, this is you know, the fly line, and uh, this represents you know, perhaps the, the wife, and you kind of go, kind of goes, but fly didn't really go. Let's try that again. It's, it's not really doing anything. And yet, in and of itself, say the husband, the sp he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> it's not going to do anything. It's not going to get the job done at all. It's just not effective. When you talk about creating a family, when you talk about creating a world where husband and wife come together to form a new unit that is called a marriage, that is called a family, and yet, when you then begin to put them together and you begin to weave your life and thread your life one into the other, let me sure I get this right. Sorry, I'm out of frame. Uh, AV crew, don't panic. I'll get back. And if we begin to then weave our life together and put them all to where you see them bound one to another. You see them threaded and woven together. Thank you for advancing the slide. That's Rachel. You all can see. She's a better caster than I am, so I'll do my best to do her justice. But you begin to see... <laughs> it's okay. Just let it land. You begin to see just how magic can happen when it comes together as husband and wife to weave your lives together to get the job done, to get the fly, to get whatever it is that's out there to where it needs to go, to do life together. Following Jesus in our marriages. Let's have the next slide. Let me do that. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father to be joined to his wife, 
and then they shall become one flesh to spend the rest of their days, to spend all that they have weaving every aspect of their life together to make magic, to get the job done, to then showcase to the world what life together is, to create and to display this portrait of marriage for the world to see. Following Jesus in our marriages once again involves grasping what God has designed marriages to look like and how He purposes marriages to function. This allows our marriages to experience His blessings and provision to, in Pastor Isaac's words, to flourish. And it provides the watching world a glimpse of Christ's love relationship with the church. You, me, His bride. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for this portrait that you have given to us. We thank you that your word is so clear to describe for us what marriages ought to look like. And so, Father, we say a prayer as a community, comprising people who are married, comprising people from all walks of life, who perhaps are single, uh, single and loving it, single and desiring to be married, perhaps single again, all of us together as one community, we champion marriage as you have designed it to be and ask that you will bless, that you will protect, and that you will shed light and insight into how is it that you would have us, your bride, as we are betrothed to you, Lord Jesus, to display this love relationship that we have with you for all the world to see. And in all of this, Father, we pray that you and you alone will receive glory and honor for all power and praise belong to you. These things we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all God's people said,